0: America's number one show on pop culture and politics this is the Michael Medved show
1: and another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth another great week a week to celebrate no balloon in the sky assaulting our dreams making us afraid Uh, we have other things to worry about that probably are more consequential dangers than the uh, spy balloon displaying the Chinese grasp on the very finest cutting edge 14th century technology. Uh, The the other thing to worry about has to do with Nazis in America. Yeah, really Nazis in America and uh, their desire to uh, basically blow up the country in in order to um, unleash a race war. It's called accelerationism. And uh, to accelerate uh, to this this whole idea of um, America falling apart directly. Uh, Will President Biden address that in his address tomorrow night? Almost certainly not. There are notes, however, about what people are concerned about, the people who are working on the speech. Uh, According to the New York Times, advisors are acutely aware that his delivery of the speech may be as important as its content, that he needs to appear forceful and vigorous at age 80 to demonstrate that he can handle the burdens of the presidency even at 86 at the end of eight years in the Oval Office. To that end, former speechwriters for other presidents said White House aides may be especially attuned to ensuring that sentences are not too long and do not include words he may stumble over. In last year's State of the Union address, Biden said Iranian when he meant Ukrainian. Remember that? It was... uh, is confusing a, a foe for a friend? It makes no sense. Or a friend for a foe? Biden also said America when he meant Delaware. Well, to him, Delaware is America.
0: Oh, God love you. What am I talking about?
1: And uh, then he said profits when he meant prices. Are you joking? Is this a joke? <laughs> but... His, uh, he exhibited energy, which will be important to display Tuesday night. Well, yeah, easy, easy. Uh, only uh, according to YouGov, yet another terrible poll for Biden. What percentage of people say that Biden has made the nation more united? 23%. Uh, well, 44% say he has made it more divided and 24% he has made little difference. In other words, you have three times the number of people who think he's made no difference or that he has actually made the country more divided. Uh, When when you have 44% saying that made the nation more divided, this is a tough climax. Speaking of divided, there is this. It's breaking news today. And it's the kind of plot that is completely crackpot, but it's also completely plausible and could be incredibly uh, destructive. A uh, neo-Nazi leader was one of the two people arrested in a plot to attack Baltimore's power grid, this according to federal sources. The suspects are named Brandon Russell and Sarah Clendaniel, They actually took steps to shoot multiple electrical substations in the Baltimore area in an attempt to completely destroy the whole city, prosecutors said. This is uh, uh, exactly how serious it might have been. Listen
2: this could have been a serious disaster for Maryland's residents had this couple not been stopped. And it appears, at least from the charging documents, that the way authorities really got to them was through a confidential informant. They are having conversations, making active plans, talking about the guns that they need, talking about the way to inflict maximum damage by doing this in the wintertime, knowing that people are so reliant on power. Uh, it's interesting also to note here that Brandon Russell is someone well-known to law enforcement, as you mentioned, a neo nazi Nazi, someone who had been on their radar for quite some time he in fact only recently gotten out of prison he had actually been prosecuted before for having explosive materials you see him there this woman that he apparently met while she was also in prison Sarah Clinton Daniel uh,
1: for she was in prison on a separate charge for armed robbery uh, and this fun couple uh, basically part of a movement in America we had this here in in the Puget Sound area a city of Tacoma, there were thousands of homes and businesses that lost power. And it was powered during some very inclement weather, it was very cold. And imagine your life being disrupted or them succeeding in shutting down the whole city of Baltimore. Why are they targeting Baltimore? Because they heavily a percentage of African-Americans in Baltimore. Here's um, more about the federal authorities on their plans.
2: Take a listen to how federal authorities described their plans earlier
0: today.
1: Russell provided instructions and location information.
0: He described attacking the power transformers as the greatest thing somebody can do. In her own words, Clint Daniels said she was determined to do this. She added, it would lay this city to waste. Their actions threaten the electricity and heat of our homes, hospitals, and businesses.
1: Okay, and this more from MSNBC. Listen. Of course, one of
2: the big questions had been whether this was part of some larger plot. We've seen several of these different shootings at power stations across the country. Authorities were asked about that today, and at least as of right now, they said this does not appear to be connected to any larger scheme or a plot, but obviously, if they had gone through with it, it would have inflicted substantial damage. This is another threat to uh, power stations uh, across the country. There were already two other attacks, and I don't believe they've—have they apprehended the suspects in those attacks? Have they found anybody? They have not. And, and they, they do they even have suspects? I should say. Well, we, we don't know yet whether they have any suspects, but if they have, they do. We haven't um, seen that, and we, as you mentioned, like they caused maximum damage for those residents. Tens of thousands of people were left without power in the winter time because of those attacks. So, if he goes to jail again after this second charge, does that mean his ex- his sentence would be extended? Yeah, effectively. Although it will be for a separate charge, we'll see what in fact he is uh, facing. The judges be the one who would decide that. But he is facing up to 20 years in prison if convicted on this particular chart.
1: And then again, uh, there's this story from a completely different part of the country in Atlanta from Fox 5. Listen, number 15.
0: So people in Dunwoody and Sandy Springs woke up to several anti semitic messages scattered throughout their neighborhood. News ads
2: reporter Kim Luffler has more from Dunwoody and how that community is responding.
0: Those hateful messages were found in these baggies filled with kernels of corn in several neighborhoods in and around this area. This left many in the Jewish community in disbelief that something like this could happen so close to home.
2: It was right across the street you know, from my house.
0: Jeremy Shulman was walking his dog Sunday morning when he got an alert about anti-Semitic messages in Dunwoody. And that's when he found dozens of these bags not far from his home. It's extremely
2: nerve-wracking to me because you hear about it on you know in the media, on the news, you know, all the time, but it's never at your front door. When it's at your front door, it's just it's
1: just disheartening and sickening. He
0: spent the morning picking up at least fifty bags and getting them off the streets.
1: Okay, at least that's um, one way to clear away litter. There was also a synagogue shooting in San Francisco. And it turns out the uh, weapon used may have been firing blanks, but it still terrified people in San Francisco's uh, Richmond district. Uh, It's a, uh, a synagogue not far from Golden Gate Park. So what is going on? in uh, anti-Semitism and neo-Nazi extremism uh, showing more and more strength across the country. We'll talk to uh, Mark Oppenheimer, who wrote a book about the shooting in Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania, which was his hometown. Uh, That and more coming up with Mark Oppenheimer on The Med Med Show. show CBS News is reporting a man suspected of firing a gun, possibly loaded with blanks, inside a San Francisco synagogue has been arrested, uh, authorities announced uh, on Saturday. The suspect was taken into custody Friday evening. A um, San Francisco County Sheriff's Office identified the suspect as a 51-year-old Dimitri Mishin, who, uh, it turns out— the despite the fact that he was visiting the synagogue, has uh, a great deal of Nazi associations on the Internet and his internet profile. Somebody who's written about this and the dangers terrible dangers at another synagogue and the single most deadly episode of anti-Semitism in American history, thank God uh, was the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in. Pittsburgh. You may remember that a couple of years ago. The Tree of Life uh, uh, Synagogue Shooting in the Soul of a Neighborhood, Squirrel Hill, is the name of the latest book, most recent book, by Mark Oppenheimer, who uh, speaks um, on issues of anti-Semitism and Jewish survival, a a professor at Yale University, and uh, someone who is also taught at uh, Stanford, Wesleyan, Wellesley, and elsewhere. Uh, Mark, it it seems like we have stories like this. Uh, There's one in Atlanta. There's one in San Francisco. There's this new arrest in Baltimore. What is going on with this this rising tide of anti-Semitism we keep hearing about?
0: Right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And, uh, I, you know, this is an extremely important topic. Okay, let me, let me give you two things, and I'm, I'm not going to promise an explanation because there's no perfect explanation or satisfying explanation for this kind of madness or this kind of hatred. But let me, let me give you two things. Number one is, I don't think you can ever underestimate the role of the Internet in spreading hatred. Um, I often make the case—I'm often asked when I give speeches and talks or working as a scholar-in-residence, doing a lot of, of public thinking out loud, I'm often asked about Kyrie Irving, I'm asked uh, you know, about uh, Ye and and these anti-Semites. And I always make the point that if, you're, that if this is 30 years ago, they could they could make these statements once. They could go on Johnny Carson or Good Morning America or The Today Show and say it once, but then they wouldn't be invited back for five years. Uh, so you you, could, you you had one shot at the Apple 30 years ago of saying something patently bigoted or offensive in American public life, and then it would you know pretty much get shut down, and and you wouldn't have those avenues open to you. But with social media, with the fact that everyone has a platform, uh, even if they throw you off one platform, you go to another and people retweet you and people quote you and people, you know, you can get your word out, no matter how crazy or offensive or stupid your word is, you can get it out without the mainstream media. So this is true of all sorts of violence, extremism and hate groups and bigotry which is all of a sudden you don't need a printing press, you don't need to get your book published and then get it into, I'm thinking 30 years ago, Walden Books or B. Dalton, you you just take to social media. So the transmission of, of the kind of crazy or offensive ideas that would have had a little more difficulty getting public traction 30 or 40 years ago has just sped up you know, exponentially. The second thing I'll say, uh, and by the way, we're all complicit in that. All of us who are on social media, spend valuable time on this earth, uh, our finite lives, scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, are complicit in a culture that allows this hatred to spread. All of us should be getting off of those screens and and leading more thoughtful, uh, you know, responsible and happy lives. But the second thing I'll say, just briefly, Michael is that there is also a a kind of uh, way in which sometimes a certain crazy becomes epidemic. You think of the epidemic of plane hijackings in the 1970s, right, Uh, where it rises and then it kind of fell. Uh, And, you know, school shootings just got a certain traction so that people who are a little bit unhinged, who would have done something else in a different era, became mass shooters in the 90s and off and teens. And now I think anti Semitism is gaining a certain currency with people who have some sort of proclivity toward hatred and violence.
1: Okay, let me let me ask you, and this is something else you've written about very, very insightfully, a piece you did on the New York Times about George Santos. Yeah, we have to bring him up. Uh the the point is how can you say that somebody who has no Jewish background is zero? He claims he's Jewish and but he ran uh, pretending to be Jewish, how could anti-Semitism be so bad when this make believe Jew, pretend Jew, actually won uh, an upset victory in a district in Long Island? Well, you know,
0: things are complicated, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and the war more But you know, let me. But they're not. They're not impossible to figure out. We are a country of about you know 330 million people. There is definitely room in a country as large and beautifully diverse and and multifarious as this one for us to say that in the broad mainstream of public opinion, uh, there is very little anti-Semitism and in fact there are a lot of people who think well of Jews. Uh, and, are and by the way, it's also the case that George Santos didn't say, I'm a practicing, devout Orthodox Jew who goes to a synagogue. What he said was, I have Jewish ancestry. And one of the points I made in that op-ed was, there's no such thing as bad ancestry. You can say my ancestor's Jewish, Native American, Black, Hispanic. You can say that 30 generations ago my ancestors were grave robbers, ditch diggers mass murders. If it's far enough back in the generations, people think it's an interesting fact about you. They don't hold it against you, right? Any kind of ancestry is interesting if you go five or ten generations back. So it's absolutely possible for somebody to get a little bit of goodwill by saying, oh, I have a little bit of Jewish heritage. And most people say, oh, that's kind of interesting and cute. And at the same time, for Judaism to be something that people at the fringes, the radical extreme fringes, think, you know, is worth killing you over.
1: Those two things can both be true. Yeah, and I thought your your piece on uh, 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 George Santos was incredibly insightful, is that people are more comfortable, as you put it, with dead Jews, unfortunately, than with people who may make a um, a public display of actual Jewish commitment. Uh, it, it, in terms of uh, the uh, the rise of anti-Semitism, I don't think that President Biden is going to say anything about it tonight. But it is something that uh, is on the minds of many Americans. And by the way, not just Jewish Americans. Uh, Mark Oppenheimer's pieces can be read. They're linked at our website at um, michaelmedved.com. Uh, and I I know that there are several new book projects on the way uh, to keep posted for. When we come back uh, there's a a tectonic shift that seems to be going on uh, with one of the most substantive and well-heeled and influential conservative organizations in the country. It's the uh, Koch Network. Remember the Koch brothers? They have uh, signaled a change of course regarding the election coming up. We will get to what they're doing and saying coming up on The Medved Show.
2: 955-1776.
0: The Michael Medved Show.
1: And of course, with the State of the Union tomorrow night, everybody's thinking about the presidential run and expecting to hear President Biden uh, lay out the vision for not just uh, his next two years, but the next six years, which he hopes he will get as president. And uh, yes, of course, you immediately think of the next presidential election, which is approaching more rapidly than you would even think, uh, because they're talking about the first primary, which would be in South Carolina, is going to be on February 3rd. You might say, oh, wait, wait, February 3rd, that uh, that already happened, that was last week. No, it's February 3rd of next year, but it's less than a year. Are you ready a year from now for primaries to start again? And, and yes, that was no mistake. The Democrats have rearranged the primaries. It will no longer be that, uh, that New Hampshire has the first primary coming right after the Iowa caucuses. It's now going to be uh, New Hampshire will be in second place the, with South Carolina first, uh, New Hampshire and Nevada in second place. In any event, There's this article, and it's stunning. Uh, It's by Maggie Haberman in The New York Times. She reports the donor network created by the billionaire industrialist brothers Charles G. and David H. Koch is preparing to get involved in the presidential primaries in 2024 with the aim of, quote, turning the page on the past in a thinly veiled rebuke of President Donald Trump. According to an internal memo, the uh, network comprising an array of political and advocacy groups that have been backed by hundreds of ultra-wealthy conservatives has been among the most influential forces in American politics over the past 15 years, spending nearly how much? 500 million dollars. Yeah, that's right supporting Republican candidates and conservative policies in the 2020 election cycle alone. Just think about that. But it has never, ever before supported candidates in presidential primaries. The potential move against Mr. Trump could motivate donors to line up behind another prospective candidate thus far only the former president has formally entered the race the memo went out to the affiliated activists and donors after a weekend conference in palm springs california where the network's leaders laid out their goals for the next presidential election cycle at various sessions they made clear they plan to get involved in primaries this time for various offices and early. The Republican Party is nominating bad candidates who are advocating for things that go against our core American principles, the memo declares. And the American people are rejecting them. It asserts that the uh, Democrats are responding with politics uh, that also go against the core American principles. Americans for Prosperity's Super PAC, that's one of the groups affiliated with, the most prominent group affiliated with this network. Americans for Prosperity's Super PAC spent nearly $80 million during the 2022 midterm elections, but that is likely just a fraction of the network's overall spending, much of which was undertaken by nonprofit groups that will not be required to reveal their finances until this fall. One of the lessons learned from primary campaigns in the 2022 election cycle, uh, the memo says in boldface, is that the loudest voice in each political party sets the tone for the entire election. In a presidential year, that's the presidential candidate. It continues. And to write a new chapter for our country, We need to turn the page on the past. So the best thing for the country would be to have a president in 2025 who represents a new chapter. The American people have shown that they're ready to move on. And so Americans for Prosperity will help them do that. Although the memo did not mention Mr. Trump's name, leaving open the possibility that the network could fall in behind him if he won the Republican nomination, it references uh, a new chapter and leaving the past behind had an unmistakable impact. Uh, Given the significance of the Kochs in the past in animating uh, the conservative movement, supporting Republican candidates, this is uh, extraordinary. They, uh, a, a member of the big donors a number of the big donors, pardon me, who backed Mr. Trump in 2016 and 2020 have yet to say that they will do so again. Other groups of donors, such as those belonging to the hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer, has called his organization called American Opportunity, uh, American Opportunity Alliance, which uh, overlaps with the Koch network, are also largely on the sidelines so far. So uh, will they be uh, going after uh, uh, Nikki Haley, supporting her candidacy, which is on the way? Tim Scott, who, as I mentioned, has $20 million saved up, left up from his senatorial campaign, he could also be a major factor. And uh, in fact, Tim Scott was on Fox News with Trey Gowdy, who was recently a guest on this show, And uh, he gave a little bit of a preview or anticipation of Trump's big speech tomorrow night. Uh, Listen, Uh, number four.
2: Well, I think you'll hear a lot of glossing over of the real issues that the American people are suffering through. If, If we were going to hear something authentic from President Biden, it would be American people. I'm sorry. I apologize for record-breaking crime, record-breaking inflation, and record-breaking border crossings. What I anticipate, however, is he will talk about nothing for as long as humanly possible and stop talking. What do the American people deserve? They deserve to be inspired. They deserve to be encouraged. Listen, in the fact, it is true that the American entrepreneur, in the face of this inflation, has continued to hire people because it is the responsibility of the American people, not the government, to create jobs.
1: Okay, and uh, something else that um, uh, uh, President Biden will talk about, Uh, Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, who is also a potential presidential candidate, and a formidable one, uh, said this about uh, some of the Democratic talking points. But I
0: know what we're going to hear. We're going to hear him take credit for, you know, adding more jobs than ever before. After a pandemic, that wasn't that wasn't very hard. He's going to kind of talk about, oh, we have unemployment finally coming down and inflation coming down. Well, inflation was at a record high. Of course, it's coming down. It couldn't have gone any higher. So, the president's going to do what he does, try to take credit for all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter about the speech. It matters what, what's going on in this country. It matters just talking to people. Go into a store. Go into a grocery store and just talk to people in the cereal aisle. What are they feeling? You know, do they feel confident about this leadership that the president? No, your polls, your own polls, just showed that, right? So at the end of the day, the best leadership is one that looks inside, says, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Right, if we don't acknowledge the problems, we can't fix it. That's what I do as governor, that's what a lot of folks do. We need to see more of that out of Washington. But but there are signs of a turnaround here, aren't they? I mean inflation is down, gas prices are, you know, way off, about a dollar fifty off, off off their high. Uh, and you can't ignore that unemployment number, three point four percent lowest in, in, in decades. I mean that that matters, doesn't it? Tr- yeah. A turnaround from where we were well, of course that was going to turn around but believe me we're gonna be in three or four years
1: of stagflation. okay let us hope that he is wrong about that but good that he faced the question uh, coming up uh, there there are all kinds of levels of criminality that are unfortunately associated with politics today okay what about the idea of taking a check that was made out for charity crossing out the name of the charity and putting in your own personal name for your own personal benefit. What member of Congress could... (music) And on The Michael Medved Show, I think that one of the most effective uh, forms of... Charitable solicitation is to show uh, photographs of dogs looking up with pleading eyes, dogs who need a new home. Uh, Have you ever adopted a dog from a pound or a shelter? I'm, I have, and uh, she was a wonderful um, part of the family for ten years, and. in any event, th- there's a story in uh, the New York Times, and it reads like this Money had come in from raffles and sales of gift baskets. A few pets had found new homes. All in all, the adoption charity event at a pet oasis store on Staten Island in New York had been a great success. But then the charity's leader made an on re- odd request. He insisted that the store owner who had been collecting all the money, the proceeds, that the store owner give him the proceeds in a check made out to him personally. The name on the check? Anthony DeVolder. Does that sound familiar to you? That's one of the many, many names used by George Santos. In fact, I think that's his real name. Uh, the owner refused. It was outraged because they had been collecting all this money for lost dogs, basically. The owner refused and made the check payable to the charity, which was called Friends of Pets United. And days later, he looked at his bank records. He noticed that the check had been altered Don't try this at home. It's called a federal crime. I mean, for goodness sake. You can't, they make out a check to some charity and you put your own name in it. The charity's name had been blotted out. When it cashed, it was crossed out and it had Anthony DeVolder written on it, said the uh, owner of the pet oasis on Staten Island. His name is Daniel Avisato. Okay. <laughs> sorry. stealing money from a lost dog's charity. does it get lower than that? Really, does it? Where? how? Uh, well, here's here's another how. The uh, understaffed San Francisco Police Department took nearly fifteen hours to respond to a burglary call setting off criticisms. Imagine that from the victims that residents have no protection from the city. Small businesses in San Francisco are getting squeezed all the time and we have no protection from the city, said Eleanor Hayes, the wife of a bar owner that was robbed last month. Uh, She told San Francisco Chronicle, the message is you should just be happy it wasn't worse. The Black Magic Voodoo Lounge on Lombard Street was robbed on January 13th and uh, a neighbor claimed he saw three men jump out the window of the bar according to the outlet. And then uh, in Florida, uh, New Horizons in uh, honoring the Second Amendment, uh, Florida is weighing allowing concealed carry guns without any permitting. Florida is set to become the 26th state to allow citizens to carry firearms without a permit under legislation outlined Monday by the Republican House Speaker in the state of Florida, Paul Renner. Uh, Conservatives and gun rights groups in Florida have long pushed to give Florida residents the ability to carry firearms with a permit known by supporters as constitutional carry, but past legislation has routinely gotten bogged down. This year's efforts are bolstered by Governor Ron DeSantis, who has uh, repeatedly said he would sign a permitless carry bill if lawmakers sent it to his desk. In other words, I'm, I'm not sure I understand what the opposition to going through a permitting process for for getting a, a firearm really is. Th- there was a piece, and it was an interesting piece, uh, by Nick Kristof, the columnist for the New York Times who had flirted with a uh, a run for governor in Oregon as sort of a, a conservative, shaded, moderate kind of squish Democrat. But in any event, he didn't run. But he wrote about the fact that we, um, we have made tremendous success in the United States in terms of regulating alcohol, in terms of regulating cigarettes, and in terms of regulating cars, those three things. And the numbers are really astonishing how many lives have been saved by regulation of cigarettes, alcohol, and cars. And uh, the question he is posing is, why is there such opposition to any regulation of guns? And the obvious answer is because it's in the Constitution. But does that bring you to the repeal the Second Amendment venture? No, it, it, it shouldn't. And certainly not to ask for constitutional carry. The idea that any court in the country would find it unconstitutional to require a permit to uh, carry a a firearm in public. Uh, Of course, we we know lots of people who have permits here in the state of Washington, and Washington is actually one of those states that has, for a very liberal-leaning state, has a very high percentage of people Who do get permitted and do carry and uh, do turn to firearms and some expertise in firearms as a means of self-protection and maybe just maybe discouraging crime in general Uh, speaking of crime in general there's a very scary happening to an ideal idyllic family who are vacationing in a cabin at the end of the world And, in fact, it's a new movie by M. Night Shyamalan called Knock at the Cabin.
0: Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute.
1: Two gay dads and their adopted daughter are vacationing in a cabin in the woods when Dave Bautista and three other menacing strangers turn up to make a strange demand in M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, now playing in theaters everywhere. Your family must
2: choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. Will you make
0: a choice? We will never choose anyone.
1: And you should never choose this idiotic and ill-conceived movie that is just barely good enough to be offensive and disturbing. There are some scenes of the beginning of the apocalypse and four grisly sacrificial killings that might have been scary if the whole premise, based on an acclaimed novel, weren't so downright silly. Of course, it's rated a blood-soaked R, one and a half stars for the incontestably odious Knock at the Cabin. And this is really a, a film where you can save some money. I mean, it's, 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 it's the kind of thing that is um, skillful enough to actually leave you with a, a, a real aftertaste uh, that will um, uh, not gratify you. Uh, Speaking of things not gratifying you, there's a new study that says pot is making people sick. So Congress is trying to play catch-up. Now that a growing body of evidence says marijuana is, in fact, bad for you, more regulation is being considered. And another stupid controversy over regulation, uh, much more stupid and unnecessary, it seems to me, than the one regarding marijuana, has to do with chocolate milk. What is the fight over chocolate milk, whether it should be banned in public schools? And that may seem like a conspiracy to you and a nasty conspiracy, but the nastiest of conspiracies is the Nazi conspiracy. Uh, The number one best-selling author of The Escape Artist and over 10 other best-selling thrillers, Brad Meltzer, has uh, written a co-written, a uh, a now historical book about a Nazi plan to uh, assassinate the necessary and indispensable leaders of the West, including, uh, of course, Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt. And then finally, we'll be talking to Brad Meltzer, A.B. Stoddard uh, of Real Clear Politics talking about the State of the Union, George Santos and the war in Ukraine. What do they have in common? We will get to that and much more next time, Tuesday, in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.